Hello and welcome to another edition of Ready, Set, Retire, an audio guide packed with information, insight, and experiences for people who are planning for, about to, or already have retired. I'm John McComb, recently retired after a 50-year broadcast career, the past 36 years at CKNW Radio in Vancouver. I'm sitting down with my co-host, Lori Pinkowski every other Friday to help answer the many questions that come up as you prepare to relax and devote some time to you and your new life. Lori is the founder of Pinkowski Wealth Management and is a Senior Vice President and Senior Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Genuity. Laurie, it's always a great pleasure to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing well, John. How are you? I am excellent, and I'm really excited about uh, today's show because we have a special guest coming up. Dr. Dorothy Reddy is a psychiatrist and a neurologist at the Neurogenesis Clinic. Uh, she's going to talk to us about dealing with the uncertainty of these times and how people can stay healthy mentally as we get through COVID-19, because I know you have had uh, conversations with some of your clients who are obviously worried about uh, not just finances, but about the future. Yeah, I think at this point in the pandemic, I don't think there's a huge amount to worry on finances per se, but I think on their health, their families, and as we'll talk about with Dr. Reddy, it's just retirement and COVID and you know, how people are feeling. I, I think that uh, after months and months of this situation and even isolation for some, I think that it is getting to them mentally. I think that people have increased anxieties. And I think it's really good that there's open communication about it and that we're providing some of this uh, information for our listeners today. Indeed, we'll be talking with uh, Dr. Reddy after we update the markets. And I guess uh, you could say that this week the markets were very, very much Trump-driven because he's got COVID-19, plus he's decided not to talk to the Democrats anymore about some relief. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this uh, past week has been very much a, a yo-yo in markets. You know, you've got uh, one day markets are are up 400, the next day they're down 500, you know. And so sometimes when a market becomes this difficult to trade, it's okay to step away a little, have some cash on the sidelines. But you're definitely right. I mean, what what is causing the volatility? You know, what we have been saying is that elections cause volatility anyway. But you add on top of that Trump and COVID and that diagnosis, along with the stimulus package that is just not being passed and uh, it's going back and forth, back and forth. Meanwhile, there's so many Americans that actually need the funds. You know, hopefully they come to some sort of conclusion. But for us, I mean, we're playing it cautious right now. You know, even when you get a good day where markets are up 500 points, you know, that's exciting. But is it going to be long lived? I just don't see it. I think we're going to see increased volatility, but a downside leading up to November 3rd. Explain why the markets reacted so badly to Trump going into the hospital. I mean, it might sound obvious, but talk about that psychology. Markets reacted a bit negatively and then they kind of got over it, too, because his, his COVID diagnosis was obviously an important factor in case he was unable to fulfill his duties. Also leading up to the election, I mean, who knows what can happen if you've got COVID-19 and he's got a lot of the risk factors that can make this thing worse for him. And so when markets are looking at it, they're going, okay, well, now the election is near. 
and markets generally want a Republican to be in office. And so if he wasn't going to be able to even campaign and all these things, I think the markets were worried about that, worried about who's going to, you know, steer the ship and just in case he was incapacitated at the hospital or something like that. But again, it was like a turnaround within days. You know, he's back at work. The whole thing is a little bit quick diagnosis, hospital, back to work. But the markets digested that. And really what I think investors are focused on now is the stimulus deal. And then, of course, the upcoming election on November 3rd. And the problem with the stimulus deal is that negotiations uh, between the Republicans and the Democrats were suddenly cut off by Mr. Trump and even the Fed chair got involved in that, Jerome Powell, warning about tragic consequences of people not having enough money. Well, exactly. I mean, this has been going on for weeks and weeks now, you know, going back and forth. And so the market doesn't like the uncertainty. We want to see a stimulus package that's passed. But what happened again, it was a big reversal. So Trump talked about he's going to quit communicating with the Democrats until after the election. So markets sold off like 400 points in the last hour of trading there. And then I guess after market, he tweeted that actually, let's uh, send some money to the airline industry and, and some Americans as well. And so the markets turned around and opened up five, you know, four or 500 points the next day. So again, when markets are this sensitive to political news, Trump news in general, again, you can't trade on that. So again, I mean, we're invested in companies long term, of course, but I've been saying that leading up to the election, you never know what it's going to be, but there's always volatility, always downside volatility. The only thing I could see why markets would go up from now to the election is if a vaccine was announced. And I mean, that's anybody's guess. And I mean, I think they're talking about end of November, December, if one is going to be announced. Let's talk a little bit about the election campaign itself. Biden continues to be in the lead. Bring us up to date on what's happening. Yeah, Biden continues to be in the lead and uh, even more so since the COVID diagnosis, which I'm not sure if the Trump campaign manager thought that it might be better for him just uh, maybe getting more sympathy, uh, maybe seeing him as a real person, whatever the case may be, that it's obviously so public. It has to be public, though. People need to know what's going on with the president. But in terms of Biden, he is leading. But we saw that four years ago with Clinton. Clinton was leading by uh, 10 percentage points. And at this point, Biden is ahead. And uh, we'll have to see what happens. But, it, you know, regardless of what happens, and I say this to many clients, after the election, markets tend to move higher. Let's just say that. And even if a Democrat is in, the world still turns. And within a week or two, usually the market digests the news, come to face the music that there is a new political power. And markets uh, tend to move with the economy and corporate earnings. That's what matters. The political stuff is short term. And yes, uh, it creates opportunities, in my opinion. And that's what we're waiting for. So we're excited about the next few weeks, dare I say. And, and like I said, we have some powder drive and we've got a lot of holdings in sectors that aren't affected by which party is, is in power. Let's uh, move on and talk about the much uh, anticipated economic recovery when it actually kicks in, I guess, is still a bit of a mystery. But what do you think is necessary for there to be an economic recovery? There's two issues. One is fiscal stimulus, ensuring that there's enough support to continue, make sure that the economy has, has a decent foundation to get back on its feet. And number two is the path of the virus. Cases continue to rise globally, causing many countries to really reevaluate restrictions and lockdowns and, and things like that. So will we have a, a lockdown that we saw back in March? It doesn't appear so. 
we understand the virus better than we did back then. And I think um, the decision makers also feel the same way. There is sort of a fine line between, of course, health as well as economic health. And so going forward, we want to see where that leads in terms of the path of the virus. But remember, the economy has been recovering. Even in Canada, we're getting unemployment numbers obviously uh, be reduced over the last few months and so on. And we're seeing, you know, increased economic activity. But again, you know, there's certain companies that are benefiting from the situation. And I always say they're not just surviving the pandemic, they're thriving in this environment. You know, Amazon is a prime example of that. I mean, their revenues and sales are up extraordinarily because people are not going to shopping malls anymore. They're ordering from Amazon. And again, there's many others, Microsoft, Google, Lululemon, Costco, Walmart, all have increased earnings during the pandemic. And so, yes, the economy is recovering. Are we anywhere close to where we were in January or February? No. It will take months, if not years, to get back to that level. But remember, markets move higher before the economy actually does in anticipation of an economic recovery. So how are you managing portfolios uh, amidst all this uncertainty? I mean, uh, this has got to be one of the most, um, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it, uh, the, the worst roller coaster ride that, that you've been through. So how do you manage? Actually, John, it's not the worst roller coaster that I've been through. Um, Isn't it? No, it's not. And, and I say this to many people that this is not nearly as bad as 2008-2009 financial crisis. That was much worse. Markets were down much further at that time. There was no government support. That's why the markets had that waterfall crash and stuff like that. And so when this happened in March, there was, you know, three weeks of a pretty bad crash there. But the government stepped in so quickly like within weeks with a bazooka full of stimulus. And, and you know, our thought is always don't fight the Fed. And so right away, we started investing as soon as we knew we had their support. So in this situation, because of that, it hasn't been as bad. But I think this situation is definitely much harder for individuals, for investors, just in terms of their actual health, their anxieties, just given the world situation. I feel that people think this is worse than anything in history. But like I said, the world's gone through a lot of bad times in history and the world's always gotten over it. So, you know, you got to look at the positives as well. So in terms of markets, my opinion is the worst is behind us. We've done a lot of changes in the portfolios over the last six months to make sure that we are in the sectors that are, again, benefiting from the situation. So a lot of consumer staples, I mentioned Costco, Walmart, Clorox, Procter & Gamble to give you some ideas, a technology, Microsoft, Salesforce, consumer discretionary, Amazon, Alibaba, which is the Chinese Amazon, and some others out there, Estee Lauder, Domino's, Lululemon. So most importantly is we've stayed out of sectors that are not working. And you and I have talked about this, but it's really important. Like when I get calls from the radio, people sending us their statements, some people are still down like 10% or more year to date. And the only reason that is, as soon as I hear that, I know that their financial advisor has kept them in energy stocks and bank stocks. It's the only way you'd be down that much. Energy companies are down on average 50% year to date. Banks are down 20% year to date. And also, of course, people don't have a lot of exposure, but hospitality. So like airlines and hotels and, and such. So obviously those are down even more. But the big one in Canada, oil and banks. I don't know what it is. Canadians love them. They're not working right now. So there's no reason to be in those sectors. So make sure you or your financial advisor is taking note of that. 
because I think it's going to be some time until those two sectors turn around. Always excellent advice. Uh, thank you, Laurie. We're going to uh, shift gears a bit. I mentioned off the top, uh, we have a special guest, Dr. Dorothy Reddy. She is a psychiatrist and a neurologist, and she's the medical director at the North Shore Neurogenesis Clinic. And we talked to her just the other day to get an update on how to deal with this uncertainty around COVID-19 and how people can stay healthy mentally as we try to get through COVID-19. Dr. Reddy is the person that I'm going to be doing a mental health podcast with. As we talked about last week, we're just putting together the details of that. And just a heads up on uh, this recording, Lori's microphone was having some troubles, which we have now corrected. But you might notice a, a little bit of problem with the quality. We apologize for that, but we have taken care of it. So let's hear from Dr. Reddy. She brings many years of experience, both in clinical practice and research, into mental health challenges. Dr. Reddy, a great pleasure to have you on Ready, Set, Retire. Thank you for joining Lori Pinkowski and me. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased to have you here, Dr. Reddy. You know, I deal with so many retirees and going through COVID-19 and going through the struggles that so many people are facing at this time, especially seniors. I'm just so happy that we're able to bring it on our program, Ready, Set, Retire, and really dive into it and uh, have that open line of communication for people because I just feel a lot of people in that age group just don't feel open to talking about some of the anxieties they feel and, and so on. So I'm really happy that you're here today. I think it's fantastic. So we'll start with a question. Even people who usually don't suffer from anxiety are worried and anxious about the future. And older people are worried about the virus and fear the consequences. What advice do you have for So, Laurie, I, I do find people do express anxiety, whether it's actually meeting uh, the criteria, the DSM-5 criteria or not, primarily because in this situation, it's so open-ended. We don't know when it's going to end. We don't know the resources that people are going to need. A lot of times with families as well, people are losing their jobs and the uncertainty is causing a lot of issues. What I would say in terms of some advice I can give is that remember that it's very easy to catastrophize and spiral into this overwhelming dread and panic. So the first thing is to stay informed. I would not recommend to obsessively check the news, which a lot of people do. I find that the news for some people is on all day long. CNN is on all day long or any other local TV. And when a person is watching TV, I would really suggest sticking to trustworthy sources. Of course, that's been a bit of an issue as well, but so far I can say the World Health Organization here in BC, HealthLink BC, Dr. Bonnie Henry has been excellent in providing information. So those are some of the things I would suggest. The other thing is focus on things that a person can control. There has been a massive upheaval, for sure. But things that seem kind of basic are actually things that people can control, Laurie, such as all the hygienic things that we are actually taught. Wash your hands, wear a mask, avoid touching your face, avoiding crowds, avoiding all non-essential shopping and travel, the six feet rule. Those things people can do. So when they actually are saying, well, I feel like I have no control, no, actually they have a control over their immediate environment. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And I think, um, you know, a lot of that has definitely been, uh, you know, pounded into our heads by now. So, you know, hopefully yeah, yeah. everybody is, is following those rules. I think 
I think some people are just feeling more isolated than others. I've seen, of yeah. course, you know, some mm-hmm. people uh, experiencing the situation, uh, they're in good health, so they don't worry that much. Uh, others, you know, speaking to somebody this morning, husbands uh, going through kidney dialysis and things like that. Well, oh, wow. Take a lot of precautions when she's going out the wife to do the grocery shopping. She has to wash all the bags still and all that kind of stuff. Where many people, I think, is you know, have opened up uh, a little bit and uh, others still are feeling the same way that they did, you know, back in March. And so that's like, you know, months and months of this sort of thing. But it's definitely different for each family that I speak It is very different for each family because of the health conditions, uh, the age members that are living together. I would say plan for what you can. I'm not talking about financial planning. That's your shtick, as they say. Yeah, I've got that part all sorted out. It's, uh, you know, it's the, the mental health part of it that we're seeing a lot of concerns. You know, the markets back in March were something for sure, um, you know, that uh, people had a lot of questions. But now it's more about health and how to go on living uh, a happy retirement in this environment. People, I mean, especially when they're older, they, they tend to be good planners. You know, they come from a generation where you save your penny, you don't live on credit and so forth. When it comes to the covid I would say, whatever the age group, plan. So what are you going to do if you lose your job? What are you going to do if your children have to stay home? So if your circumstances, what are you going to do if your loved one gets sick or you have to self-quarantine? All of those things have to be planned out. And I find that if they're not, the what-ifs get in the way. As soon as a person thinks, what if, that'll immediately lead to anxiety. If they can make those plans, if they can go ahead and come up with a treatment plan for themselves in terms of who's going to help them. And write it down and put it away. That'll actually ease a lot of concerns. That's great advice. Thanks, Dr. Eddie. I think uh, having a plan, whether it's, uh, you know, in financial way or in mental health, uh, everybody needs to plan ahead. And uh, that what if statement you made, uh, definitely, I can't say that enough. That's in my business as well. What if this happens? What if that happens? Well, anything can happen. Um, and you have to plan for what you know uh, and be prepared for what you don't know. Exactly. Absolutely. That would make total sense to me. Because of COVID, doctor, a lot of people have lost jobs. And so uh, parents or grandparents are stepping up financially, perhaps unexpectedly, helping with child care and shopping and what have you. Can you talk about the the weight of financial stress and how to keep that from becoming overwhelming? Because that's a, a huge stress generator, especially in times of COVID-19. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is also where communication really is important between your family members. You know, how much can they really afford? How much can they do physically? We were talking about safety earlier, which you all know, for example, the social distancing, but it's really important in this situation as well, basically for family members to know who they're getting in contact with, not to bring germs home. But also in terms of not letting things overwhelm a person, my suggestion would be to ensure that the social aspect is being taken care of. So for example, making sure that people are staying in touch with their loved ones. They may be interested in online forums. Keeping in a healthy routine, for example, is really important. Stress management strategies, eating healthy meals, getting plenty of sleep, and meditating, yoga. Remember, you know, some people have said, well, I can't even get to the gym. What are you talking about? Well, they can get to the gym, the virtual gym. They can do online classes. They can do yoga, Zumba, whatever they want in that respect. Also, one of the ways to make sure 
that a person is not overwhelmed is to ensure that they're kind to themselves. They get really good sleep. I say kind, not because I want to be a copycat with Dr. Bonnie Hendry, but we know that kindness actually affects the brain. Uh, we release, when you're kind to somebody, you release good hormones, better endorphins, you release dopamine. Kindness also eases anxiety. So, of course, if you're releasing some hormones, the other ones you also are releasing is GABA, which will calm the brain down. We know that kindness is very good for your heart. You live longer, reduces stress, and prevents illness. And by the way, uh, not to get carried away, but I may be on the verge of that. Do you know that when you actually even smile, <laughs> when you actually smile, there are mirror cells in your brain that recognize somebody smiling at you. Those, those mirror cells just light up. And that also goes on to release more healthy neurotransmitters. The, the other thing I wanted to also mention, routine is very important, whether they're grandparents who have retired, whether they're people that are still working, even if a person is staying at home, make sure you're getting up on time, same time. The sleep-wake cycle is really important to observe. If a person does not go to bed basically before midnight and wake up in the morning, 7 or 8 a.m., they will disrupt not only their sleep pattern, but all of the hormonal systems that are synchronized with their sleep pattern. We are people of the light. Right? As we evolved as human beings, we actually went to bed when the sun went down and got up when the sun went up. So as we evolved as human beings, all of our systems, our thyroids, our endocrine system, everything is synchronized to the sleep-wake cycle. So, you know, watching Netflix is fine, but don't do it late into the night and uh, disrupt your sleep. Exactly. Don't act like a vampire, right? So <laughs> do not be a vampire. <laughs> exactly. That's great advice. Uh, again, Dr. Reddy. Um, yeah, this is a, another topic that definitely come in contact with is just with small business owners or medium-sized business owners. Life has changed drastically for a lot of people in this position, even with stimulus and help from the government. You know, when people have worked their entire life to build their business and seeing that possibly all go away within a few months uh, is very difficult to swallow. And I know a lot of them are hanging on just because of the stimulus and are worried that if stimulus stops, their business will stop. So I appreciate uh, your insight on how these people, small business owners, can uh, deal with the feelings that they're having. So some of the advice that I had given earlier will definitely apply. You know, it is very difficult because a person usually in that state is already getting uh, anxious and depressed. Relying on loans, etc., whatever little bit the government is doing to help us, it is very difficult. A lot of my patients are actually getting depressed, have lost their flower shops and smaller, smaller businesses. And what can I possibly say to offer support? This is where family comes in. This is where your friends come in. Talk to them about what they can do, about what they can do to help. This is where your doctor comes in. If your person's getting depressed, this is when to actually start speaking with your doctor. The Canadian Mental Health Association has also virtual counselors available that can talk to people about their feelings and losses. It is especially difficult when people lose their salary jobs. It's terrible for a person's psychological well-being. But when they lose their business, it's even worse because they lose their identity. 
not only that, the amount of money that's lost is huge compared to somebody who may have lost a salary job. Not to minimize other, I'm just trying to compare the two. So how do you manage the debt? People who lose their businesses have so much debt and they may not even have unemployment benefits that other people in a salary job may have. So the psychological costs are tremendous. It's not about a job. It's not about the, not only about the identity. It's also about their aspirations, future aspirations, personal growth and development. There's a lot. It's a really a complex issue. What's important is for people to realize that they're separate from their business. And if their business doesn't make it, that they will, I think is something important for them to realize. Because I think some people get so connected with the business that they've built that they think that things won't be the same. And I know it can be very difficult going forward. But you as a person are separate from the business you created. And there will be a way out. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're 100% right. Took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) Remember also, though, this is where therapy will come in. Can you imagine somebody with a printing business, say, you know, 30 years, 40 years, they've raised their children, they've raised their grandkids now, et cetera, and losing that. It takes a long time to actually wrap their head around, well, it was just a business. This is not me. This does not define me. It's difficult. I know as a physician, if something were to happen to my job, it would be very difficult. And I think that's true for a lot of other people in their respective fields. Also be ready for the recovery process. When a person loses the business, the recovery process tends to be a lot longer. So again, friends, family, redefining who you are. But like you said, Lori, you're right on when you say it doesn't, should not define you. You're not your business, but it is hard to overcome that though. And this was out of their control, right? This isn't just, you know, your business failed totally under your control. And if you had a good idea at one point, you'll probably have another good idea. That's right. Entrepreneurial people are entrepreneurial. Absolutely. They can think outside the box. They tend to be very creative. They tend to generally manage their risk very, very well. It's a matter of not getting depressed or anxious, though, because when a person gets depressed or anxious, their cognitive function changes. They can't think as well. So this is where treatment, if necessary, is really important so they can get back to where they need to be to think about what else they can do. Dr. Reddy, you've mentioned several times the importance of communication, whether it's within families, with friends, uh, social groups. A lot of people, I think, are feeling isolated and almost fear leaving their homes because of COVID-19. So how important is it to maintain contact with others? And how is loneliness making this pandemic even uh, more difficult to deal with? I would say that a person's life depends on their ability to connect with others. If you think back to our evolution, when the Ice Age came along, when the saber-toothed tigers and ferocious animals were around, what helped us was that social connectiveness, to be a village, to help each other out. And so as a result, that evolution led to a significant part of the brain being dedicated to social connectiveness or connectedness. So this is super important. And I find that when people are, uh, say they're depressed, I'm treating them, they're anxious or whatever the condition may be, if they're not leaving their house, they're not going to feel a lot better. So this is really important. If the social connection is not there, it'll lead to dire consequences. And unfortunately, loneliness is making the pandemic even worse for people. We are social beings, and it is making it much worse, especially, I would say, for older people. Older people who especially may not have the communication devices that younger people may have. 
But for those people, it's really important that they connect with their neighbor or neighbor connects with them, maintain regular schedules, get help from family members. And also remember, there are a lot of people volunteering right now when people are alone in terms, not just with groceries, but also even just having someone to talk to, for example. So loneliness and social isolation, we know, is incredibly detrimental, not only to poorer mental health, but also it can cause or increase mortality. So it's incredibly important that we pay attention to that. Yes, I've seen uh, a lot of loneliness with uh, seniors, especially those who have lost a spouse during the pandemic. Oh, it's been, uh, it's been very oh. difficult on them, on adult children. I was just at a celebration of life yesterday for one of my longest clients who passed away during the pandemic. And finally, they felt it was time to have a celebration of life. But of course, very different from what we're used to. I mean, not even being able to hug each other, you know, or console people. And what do you do for people like that that have recently lost a spouse and now they're home on their own in their home? you know um and uh, and that's a difficult one to cope with i don't think there is an answer to it but uh, i think like you said keep communicating yes. with the family that's here yes and there are so many ways to keep connected you know i i didn't know this but some of my patients were saying how much they miss traveling how much they hate getting being stuck at home and i found out that they can actually travel all they want but virtually so did you know that museums actually have virtual tours? You can take virtual tours almost anywhere. So they can go to the Guggenheim and then tomorrow they can be in Paris, et cetera. So there, we have to get creative about how we can connect with others. Definitely. And, and learn and keep our brains active. It's not going to last forever. And despite, uh, as I use the reference to the new normal, you know, things eventually will get back to normal. It just could be for in a long time from now. And uh, I guess when People are looking forward going, you know, how long is this going to last? How long can I not travel for? Whether it's a year, two years or more. But how do people deal with their feelings of looking forward into the abyss and kind of going, when is this going to get back to, to reality here or get back to normal? One of the things I would suggest is go ahead and make up your bucket list because you will do it. It's just a matter of time. Make up a bucket list. And as you do this, and for a lot of people, travel is part of that. Just get, you know, go ahead and um, plan for those trips. Just get travel insurance and all those things to protect yourself, obviously. Because we know that when you actually start anticipating an event or an activity, you will release far more dopamine than if you were doing that actual activity itself. So if you're planning on going to France in two or three years, looking forward to that will release so much more uh, dopamine and serotonin. And so go ahead and plan because we know this is not forever. It's a matter of time. So the looking forward to going is actually more yeah, stimulating actually, than the going. Yes. Um, when should a person seek medical advice if they if they feel like they're unable to cope? Because so, so many people will not go and see a doctor and, and won't talk about these kinds of things. But sometimes uh, you reach a point where sitting down with your physician and talking this out really becomes necessary. Absolutely. It does. There are so many things we look for, but I would say the biggest, if you're going to remember one thing, is to look at how well you're functioning. Are you still going out for your walks? Are you still eating properly? How's your sleep? How are you communicating with others? Are you still a nice person or are you cranky and hard to be around? Are you having panic attacks so that you're avoiding doing things? So it always comes back to function. 
I would say despite a lot of people feeling very stigmatized with mental health or having what they consider to be mental health, they can just go to their doctor and say, look, I don't think I'm functioning very well. And the doctor will then go ahead and look at a number of symptom profiles or conditions and um, help you understand what's going on. And medications may be necessary. But a lot of people, I have to say, think that once you start on meds, it's forever. It's not. It's not forever. It's temporary. So what I would suggest is speak to your doctor, follow through with treatment, follow up with your doctor after you've started treatment, and be patient. Supposing you've been placed on an antidepressant, which can be for depression or anxiety, or panic attacks, for example. There can be so many things it's used for. It takes time to work. It can take up to four to six weeks. However, if you don't see anything, if you don't see an improvement within two weeks, follow up with your physician. Don't leave it till six weeks later or eight weeks later and say, hey, I'm not seeing an improvement. A doctor is not going to be able to make those adjustments in doses until he or she sees you. So please follow up, whether it's virtually or in person. Most doctors are available virtually, so it shouldn't become, it shouldn't be so onerous. You mentioned the word stigma there, and it's something that you and I have talked about privately, and it's one of the big issues that we want to try to tackle in the the podcast that we'll be doing together, because uh, we know that people a lot of times self-stigmatize and have to get over that hurdle first before they'll even go and see their doctor or talk to a specialist about how they're feeling. And so we're going to explore some of those issues and how to uh, break down that terrible problem of stigma, That's right. not only in society, but from uh, within one's own mind, which is, uh, which is tough to deal with. No, I was just going to say that you're absolutely right, John. The shame that people inflict on themselves and their loved ones and the general population is really quite staggering. And so this is definitely something I look forward to uh, working with you on. I think it's going to be a great podcast that you guys are diving into this and people will be able to tune in and listen to mental health topics from both of you. And the insight that you're going to provide is going to help so many people. And so uh, I personally thank you for that. I think that's great. I hope my clients will tune in as well. And mental health is such an important topic, uh, especially during the pandemic, but also all the time. And, uh, you know, the more we address it, the more we communicate about it openly, the more people will be able to go to their doctors, seek help, all those sorts of things. Uh, and again, you know, together we, we, we will get through this um, in terms of the pandemic. And it's uh, been a long time already. And so I felt it was really important to bring this topic to the forefront, at least in our program here, Ready to Retire. Uh, again, just seeing so many seniors and retirees dealing with different situations and how they're ha- handling it in their mental health. Uh, we want to make sure that they live a long and happy life and a, and a happy retirement and a fun retirement. And uh, we just need to have a plan on how to bring that uh, that fun back into our lives, I think, sometimes. Absolutely. If I may just say one thing, please find meaning in your life. You may be, there's lots and lots of things to anchor that on, but please find meaning in life and that'll see you through. That's a perfect quote for the end of uh, Ready, Set, Retire today. <laughs> I was just, I was just thinking, <laughs> gee, I wonder if Lori's got a quote ready. And there it was. <laughs> there it was. I was looking for one, as you know, John, right now. That's what I was searching for. But uh, 
I think Dr. Rennie said it's uh, just uh, better than I could have even. <laughs> well, on that uh, note, uh, Dr. Reddy, a great pleasure to have you on Ready, Set, Retire, and very much looking forward to uh, co-hosting the new show on mental health with you. Thank you so much uh, for your time and your insight on all of this today. We appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Lori. Thanks so much. If you want more information or have any questions, please don't hesitate to call Lori and her team at Pinkowski Wealth Management. 604-695-LORI. 604-695-5674. For Lori Pinkowski, I'm John McComb. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Ready, Set, Retire. <laughs>